You are now listening to Say. All right, we are here, and I am here with Dr. Antonio Grisafo, and I've been out, had him on a couple times. I'm glad to have him back on. Is a wealth of knowledge, and there is so many topics I have today. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, but it's been a long time since I had you on, and I'd like you know I, I'm, we're thinking about making this a regular thing where we get together and we just talk about some of these articles and stuff. So I'm glad to kind of start that here, and I'm glad to have you on again. Hey, thanks a lot, Sage. And you know what? The world is a mess, so we could talk forever. Yeah, absolutely. And and so a couple of the things I, I think I want to start with is obviously, um, I think we just start with here in the United States, because that's what a lot of people are concerned about, because it affects them right now, right here. Um, and then m- maybe work backwards th- that way at this point, because this is going to, you know, people want to hear so we have a issue <laughs> with our economy, inflation, um, and some other things. So if you can kind of break down, I think, uh, the, you know, we have inflation, you have hyperinflation and stagflation and, and the stages of that. Can you kind of give us an idea on what kind of happened and where we're at and where we could be going with it? Sure. Okay. So first of all, inflation means that there's a general increase in prices, which everybody knows, and you're all noticing, you know, increased price at the grocery store and stuff like that. Now, when petrol goes up in price, obviously it impacts almost every other product, right? Mm -hmm. That's not really inflation. So what inflation is, it's generally caused by the government printing or borrowing too much money. So basically government spending. Basically, it's an increase in the money supply. So every time the government prints money or the government borrows money, they're basically increasing the money supply. And basic law of supply and demand says the more of something you have, you know, the price comes down. So we have too much money, so the price of money comes in, the value of money comes down. So during the pandemic, the government spent about a quarter of one year's GDP on the pandemic. Between, Ouch. you know, the checks, the the uh, the unemployment, enhanced, uh, you know, food benefits, uh, loans, forgivable loans, whatever it was. And and like, oh, and the money that went directly into the pockets of private companies. Now, think about this. Mm-hmm. The law of supply and demand says if you don't want to buy a product, if the public doesn't want that product, what happens to the cost of the product? What happens to the price? It goes down. It's going to go down. What if. The government orders you to buy that product. Oh. What happens to the price? And well, it's gonna, that's going to go up. Yeah. The government ordered you to buy masks and to buy vaccines in particular, and the government paid for it. There's no way the price will ever come down. They have an unlimited market. As many of these vaccines as they could make, the government would buy them at the price that they decided. Right? Mm. So, you know, the law of supply and demand is out the window. And you have the government just buying these things up and then forcing you effectively to take them. Now, you could argue private companies forced you this and that. But in a roundabout way, that's what we wind up with. We wind up with private companies mm-hmm. making a product, government forcing you to buy the product. But the government could pay for it. But what are they paying for? They're paying for it with your future tax dollars. Right. So the government spent about a quarter of one year's GDP. Now, here's here's another thing. Are you... Sage, if you saw how much money the drug company is making mm. and the government's going to buy the product and pay you for it, are you allowed to make your own drug company and sell a vaccine? God, I wish, but I don't think that works that way. No. <laughs> right. Who gets to make that decision? So the government decides who can sell these things. Right. There's no competitors coming into the market. Mm. Right. The government approves whether or not you can sell the product. Then they're buying the product. So, I mean, it is 
literally fascism, literally state capitalism. That's what this is. It's exactly what Mussolini did. This is called state capitalism. All right. And they spent a quarter of a year's GDP. This is our future tax dollars. All right. So now what did they do? Kept everybody home for two years. Everybody, you know, most people lost. Uh, if you're a business owner, you lost everything. If you were working, uh, if you were earning more than whatever the enhanced uh, unemployment benefit was, you lost, you know, wh whatever was above that. So you have all these people losing money. Uh, lots of tax holidays for different kinds of taxes. Plus, people aren't earning money, so they're not paying uh, federal income taxes. Mm -hmm. And the income tax, of course, is the the revenue for the government. Now, the government earns money on all kinds of taxes, but the income tax is the most important. It's like sixty to eighty percent of the total government revenue comes from income tax, right? right. United States, three hundred thirty million people earning an average of sixty five thousand dollars a year right like, mm. that's a lot and a very efficient tax system right if you've ever tried to cheat on your tax you yeah. find out <laughs> right so as, as al capone has shown us but <laughs> right. um very efficient tax system you know and uh that's where the government gets its money yeah. but then for the pandemic years the government revenues are down and the government spending's up so then you wind up with this huge huge deficit huge government debt that we're gonna have to pay off later increase in the uh, supply of money, which is now causing inflation, which is what you're seeing right now, right? So I was in the States a few weeks ago and uh, I, yeah, I couldn't believe, I mean, you know, food, especially, everybody's telling me, you know, food is up, whatever, however many percent. I mean, I know the official inflation rate is uh, around 8%. Mm -hmm. However, inf official inflation rates exclude dwellings, gas, cars, and food. All the main stuff, of course they do. All the main stuff. <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Because you, you get to stop eating those things. Yeah, I mean, it's madness. And so, um, yeah, so we got inflation right now. And it's because the government keeps spending money. Now, how do you deal with that, right? When we had hyper, or when we had not hyperinflation, we had extreme inflation back in the mm -hmm. 70s. Right? I think I'm a little older than you. And I do remember, you know, the inflation in the 70s. It was horrible. So we had this inflation. And then we wound up with stagflation. And what basically happens with stagflation is that you wind up with unemployment and inflation at the same time. Usually mm -hmm. it's one or the other. You get a trade-off. So if the inflation's going too high, the government can increase the interest rate. That decreases corporate borrowing. Companies don't expand. They don't hire more workers. So you wind up with unemployment. But the good thing is that it brings down the inflation. And so, so, so you know, that's what the Federal Reserve, that, that is their job. They decide where to set the inflation rate in order to find some kind of trade-off between inflation and unemployment. Gotcha. And during the seventies though, we wound up with both. And that's what they call stagflation. And it's the most scary condition because if we have, uh, let's say you have a depression or mm -hmm. a recession, right? Well, then what the government could do, the fed can cut the interest rate, makes it very easy to borrow money puts a lot of money into circulation. The government can spend money. They can, you know, build infrastructure projects or whatever, pump money into the system. And if you're in a recession, it brings you back up to normal. And the other option is you have inflation. The Fed will raise the interest rate. This will reduce borrowing, causes unemployment, but it brings the economy, you know, cools it off, they, they say, cooling it off, brings it back to a normal rate of inflation. Like for the U.S., like between two and three percent, you know, right. two, two and a half, whatever's normal. All right. So those two conditions, we know how to deal with that. And on a regular basis, the Fed adjusts the interest rate to deal with that. Uh, the problem that we're facing right now 
we're almost into a situation of stagflation. And that's what we had in the 70s. And, and that means you have inflation and unemployment at the same time. So now you have people losing their jobs mm-hmm. and everything's more expensive. Wow. Right? This is the, the most painful condition. The 70s were just so horrible, man. I remember like on a weekly basis, like McDonald's changing the price on the menu. Like, you know, it, it was not quite as bad as Brazil. They weren't doing it every day, but it was really like a weekly basis. You notice a difference. And um, Volcker came in as the chairman of the Fed. I believe he came in at either 79 or 80. Mm-hmm. And Volcker said, I know how to fix this thing, but it's going to be really painful. Really? And he raised interest rates to 20%. Wow. 20%. Can you imagine? Twenty percent, and twenty percent. Just so everybody knows, just and, and interest rates being raised to go on anything that you the variable rates. If you have a line of credit, credit cards, sometimes even businesses use lines of credit to pay for their payroll. Uh, so now you could right. be paying twenty percent on paying your payroll. Um, it, so those interest rates affect everything from us, you know, just everyday people all the way up to corporate. So it's not just, well, the corporates right. can, they can eat that cost. No, 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 that comes back no. down to us <laughs> on the price of right, food very, and everything. Right. So, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people don't realize, you know, again, I don't, you know, I don't know how much detail you want to get into, but there's a lot of businesses that function entirely on credit, you know, like, like the rental car companies, mm-hmm. they don't own the cars. Oh. All those cars that are on the lot are financed. So these companies, when you go in as an auditor, as an accountant, and you look at the books, they've got like mountains of debt and no assets. Like the only assets mm-hmm. are like the office furniture, you know? But I, I mean, of course it works, right? And, they, and they're able to make a profit because they're renting the cars out, you know, and it works. But that is their business model. Uh, the same thing with taxi companies. They very often don't own the taxis. They're all financed. Um, casinos um, casinos don't have, you know, the, the, billions of dollars can run through a casino Hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to run through a casino each day, the amount that they need to operate. So the, there's a lot of businesses that just function completely on credit. And it's fine. I mean, it works. It's what they do. But it means that when the interest rates are raised to like 20%, obviously it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. And then it affects certain kinds of industries you know, much more because they're much more dependent on, on credit. Um, so Volcker comes in, raises interest 20%, causes un- unemployment. But within uh, a year, he brought the inflation back down to, to normal. And then, um, you know, employment picks up again and, and all that. So we, we're, we're, we're teetering kind of on the brink of stagflation right now. It does mm-hmm. seem to be better. I did a paper on it about six or eight weeks ago, and things were, it, it, things were bad, but it looked like it was improving a bit. And it also looks like it's improving a bit now. I don't know that we're going to hit stagflation. But the problem that we have right now is the Fed is raising interest rates, which is the right thing to do to bring down the inflation. But the government keeps spending money. Right. So that <laughs> could. Yeah. So let me. That so, undoes all the benefit. Yeah. Go ahead. So basically what you were just saying was we you didn't think we were going to reach stagflation because right now the raising of the interest rates is, is actually helping inflation. Right. It's helping. Yes. So the last thing we would want the government to do would be to give free money to small businesses and people. (laughs) So if you can explain this that I got in the mail yesterday, and I will read this for everybody, because this is another reason I, 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 of course, I showed you before the show so you knew what was coming because I didn't want to knock you off the chair. Um, But it says forgivable loans for your business. 
Thrive Maine, and I'm out of Maine. It says applications uh, opens October 4th. Now is the time to get prepared. A program to help Maine small businesses recover from financial setbacks due to the pandemic. Uh, Loans will be forgiven when conditions are met, whatever those are. And learn how to prepare your business for uh, application. And it goes in, this basically says, forgivable loan amounts ranging from $10,000 to $2 million. And it's forgiven over over four years at 25% a year. And I looked into it, and Maine is allotted, just Maine, now I didn't, because I'm from Maine, $58 million for this program for people to go out and get these loans. Wouldn't that push towards a stagflation situation with, with this? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely going to exacerbate inflation. Okay, so any money the government's giving away for free, even the, the student loan forgiveness thing. Yeah, Yes, that's another one. Madness. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Madness. <laughs> okay. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And at a time that the government needs to stop spending money, right? And the Fed is raising interest rates. So if you're a small business owner right now and you go to take a loan, the interest rate is higher than it was before. So you're feeling that pinch. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the government is spending money and driving up the inflation. Yeah, and and so my thought process is, why would they, why would they do now? Because student loan is one of our largest debts in this in this country, right? And so, so you just start forgiving any amount and start giving that away. It's what? Why do we seem to have? Is it me or do we have like two things fighting each other on this? Like what what's going on? If if, if you know, the issue. I mean, the, the issue is that uh, the issue. <laughs> The issue is that the socialists, no, but, uh, but look, 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 if, if you didn't have any training in economics, right. Mm-hmm. And you said, wow, the situation right now is pretty bad in America. Mm-hmm. Families are suffering. I don't want families to suffer. Okay. We all feel like that, right? right. We all regardless of what party you are, regardless of what your training or education, you know, yeah, I feel bad for families that suddenly the grocery bill is 20% higher. You know, and people, particularly at the low income level where groceries make up a significant percentage of, of their income. Right. Mm-hmm. So your first instinct is, I wish I could do something to help them. Mm. And if you have no training in, in economics, you, you say stupid things like, <laughs> let's make food free. You know, and then, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and but where. OK, so wh- who is the policy pre- people that we should be listening to? Obviously, because we have two things going on, right? Is it the Fed? I mean, because you're always hearing, you know, and the Fed and this. Or is it the P like where where does that line get drawn where it's like, OK, we, we have to listen to this person here. Does that make sense? So the Fed, the Fed can control the interest rates. Mm-hmm. The Fed can control monetary policy. But the, the president effectively at the end of the day, the president affects the uh, fiscal policy, the actual spending. Great. We're doomed. Okay. So that's part of the problem. I, I mean, I mean, every problem in the U.S. I always point at and go, "That's our strength and our weakness, right?" Right. That we have this decentralized. I mean, thank God it's not all one person, right? Right. On the other hand, it means that if you have two people and they have completely different ideas, you know, they're pulling and pushing at the same time, right? So the president and the administration tends to be re- relatively liberal, so they want to spend a lot of money and and they want to give money to the poor. But and these are all very nice things to do, but the problem is it's destroying the economy. And then the Fed is doing the right thing, which is they're raising the interest rates. But, you know, raising the interest rates isn't going to work if they keep spending money. At what point does the Fed basically say, here's your 20 percent interest rate stamp? 
I mean, it, 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 what what's the flag? Like, what's the the, no, the the doomsday notification bell that goes off that they say, "Here's your stamp." Is there so? One? They should be doing they should be doing mathematical modeling, and they should be because there are mathematical models that would tell you when your interest rate is this. I'm sorry, when your inflation rate is this, and mm-hmm. when the government spending is that, and then this is the the best interest rate to set. And these things are not perfect, of course, because the economy is very complex. There's lots of people, lots of factors, right? right? But but that's what they should be doing. And, and, and they probably are, right? I would assume the people working at the Fed are doing this. The problem, and do you do know that our Fed is privately owned, right? Yes, yes, private, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, which again, is like a strength and a weakness. So mm-hmm. a lot of people always think that's some big conspiracy. Oh my God, the Fed isn't even part of the government. Like, yeah, you don't. I don't know that you right. want the Fed to be part of the government, right? You don't want it in, influenced by politics. However, at the end of the day, they're influenced by politics. So they're supposed to be standing up and saying to the government, hey, we just did this mathematical model. We think interest rates need to go to 10%. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what they should be doing. Well, no politician wants to go to their constituents and say, (laughs) I'm going to save you by not sending you checks Mm -hmm. and by raising interest rates 10 percent. Especially before. And that's the problem. Yeah. Especially before a specific November date. We all know. (laughs) Yeah. We have elections coming up. This is not when you raise interest rates, you know. Right. And um, so this is the problem. So theoretically, our system has checks and balance and and it does. Theoretically, these these organs of government should be operating independently, right? They shouldn't like the judiciary should be independent. The Supreme Court should be making right. rulings based on you know legal legal expertise, their experience, and their and their interpretation of the Constitution, which is the only thing that they really um, adjudicate on, right? Is the mm-hmm. interpretation of the Constitution of the United States that should not be influenced by politics. Wow. Yeah. So agreed. Yeah. So when Roe versus Wade was overturned, regardless if you agree with abortion or you disagree with abortion, you have to understand that what the Supreme Court was ruling, they were not even ruling on whether or not abortion is good or bad or legal or illegal. What Mm -hmm. they were adjudicating was if the original decision taken by the Supreme Court in whatever it was, 1973, Mm -hmm. of Roe versus Wade, they were adjudicating whether or not that decision was constitutional. Right. And they said that it was not. And there is a quote. I don't remember if it was from um, which which of the justices said it, but it was something like, we've 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 read the Constitution several times and the word abortion does not seem to appear there. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean it's illegal. And and it doesn't mean that it can't go back to the Supreme Court. And it doesn't mean that that there can't be a new case, you mm-hmm. know, you know, Johnson versus the state of Ohio or whatever, and they want to get an abortion and they go to the Supreme Court. And then, uh, you know, given the facts of that case, there might be a different ruling. Right. So people have to understand that. And and I read the liberal media, which is basically the mainstream media saying, oh, this is dangerous precedent that the Supreme Court could just make decisions on their own. I'm like, no, this is what our system <laughs> right. is supposed to be. Right. 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 You have the the, the three branches that, you know, no one one rules everything and that keeps everything kind of fair. Right. And and you're right. For example, it's to have that offsetting non-government because too much government and we end up, you know, Mao. (laughs) Right. And and, you know, so it's that's a a good trade off. And you're right. It's it's one of those things that we you do want some outside private thought process, but you also want some government oversight to keep 
you know, the the, yep. the the private sector keeps the government sector on their toes and then and the vice versa, right? Just to make sure it's yeah, all fair. Yeah. And, yeah, and, I really agree with that because my students always ask me, they're like, Professor, what am I going to do with the degree in economics? Uh, you know, because a lot of them think like they're going to make policy. And I go, no, you're not going to make policy. You're going to make policy recommendations. Right. And then and then they said, oh, and, but the government's sometimes too stupid to listen to us. I said, no, you're going to make policy recommendations based on the mathematics, based on the facts. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the government to make decisions that are the best for the people of the United States. Right. So and, and I really believe that and I stand firmly by that. And I love our system. And uh, and the example I always give them is. Teachers complain that their salaries are too low. Mm-hmm. Uh, school administrators complain there's too many kids in the classroom and they also complain that they don't have enough resources, materials, computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, school is free. So I say to my students, well, how could we reduce the number of children at school and increase the budgets for schools? And my students say, oh, raise the tuition to $20,000. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> if right. public school had a tuition of $20,000 per kid, and we could graph it out mathematically, I could model it for you and prove to you that with a tuition fee of $20,000, there would be fewer kids at school. They'd have the best computers. The teachers would have great salaries, right? right? But would that be the right decision for the government to take? Right. It would not. Right. right. So, so we correct. make recommendations. The government should be making decisions based on what is best for the people. Right. So so they're going to reject. And that's also why, whether it's liberal media or right wing media, mm-hmm. I don't care. I get very upset when people very much criticize like the government's taking a decision. They're like, oh, several advisors told him not to do. It. Of course. Right. Of course they did. It. You have advisor both, you know, on, on any any argument other than COVID, there's two sides. <laughs> and right. <laughs> and 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 that's good too. And and people need to realize that you have advisors saying yes, yay or nay, and then they have the politicians saying yay or nay, and then the people saying yay or nay if you're going to stay in office <laughs> by yes. the decision that yeah. you made. So there yep. is a three tier system that that's happening, right? And I try to explain this. It's like there's no way politicians know everything about everything, right? They find right. people to say, hey, can you explain this to me? I don't understand. And now it's okay. Now that I understand. What do I, what do my constituents want me to do? What would they want me to do? And, and now is that best that I do that? Right. So there's a lot of decisions that's going on. That's the other problem is what's, what's best for the people is not always what the people would want. Right. right? The people like getting free money. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Right. People like getting free money. Okay. But that's not good for the economy. Right. You know, but do you want to be the politician and said, Hey, listen, I'm going to stop giving you free money to help you. So we're, I mean, we're even at a point that even receiving this in the, like, I did not take any of the loans. Um, I didn't need them. So I didn't feel like, you know, we're at a point now where it's almost like, it's almost best for the business to say, do I need this or do, and if I don't, I'm not taking it. Is that kind of the first way, the first protectionary against inflation? I mean, if you do, you do, right? Yeah, but that's like spitting in the ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might as well just take it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, mean I hate to say that on, on, on TV, you know, like lots of people. Oh, okay, Antonio said take the loans, but right. geez, man, you know. But, you, but you're you the see honest where person I'm, who doesn't uh, take it. Right, but here I am, like I said, I'm at a point now where it's like, oh, my God, what, you know, and again, this is just a conversation between, you know, two people right now, and it's like, what, what happens to be a doctor and have a lot smarter? But it's like, what, it's like, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? It's like you, the government is offering this money out there, and that final outcome it could possibly be that stagflation if we're not very careful with this. And staying, the stagflation is I know how to like just like you said I know how to fix it. Twenty percent interest. 
what? Yep. Goodbye house sales. Goodbye, you know, <laughs> I mean, no. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real estate would be an example, right? Real estate's a huge example, right? When when rates go up, uh, negatively impacts, you know, real estate sales and prices. Right, right? and that's huge. Okay, yeah. so let me, yeah, and, and let me now roll into this a little bit. So now we've got our currency and our situation and our inflationary, our, our dollar inflating. We are the reserve currency. How does that affect yes. other countries when they're holding that? that dollar when that country has inflation like Man, we have. so yeah we have like we have an we have a perfect storm a near perfect storm in the world right now so with covid you have massive government spending not just in the u.s but in most other countries believe it or not the eu did a reason i mean no one should have locked down anything right but right. the eu did a reasonably good job of not spending tons of money on the pandemic compared to the US, US spent tons of money. But we have this near perfect storm where you have two years of reduced incomes, reduced government revenues because of, you know, nobody's paying taxes or mm -hmm. they're earning not, they're earning less money so you're paying less taxes. Government spending more money. Mm -hmm. Then we got, you know, the war in Ukraine, we got petrol prices going up. Um, then we have this inflation. And of course, to fight the inflation, and, and there's inflation everywhere. It's slightly higher in the States than it is in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, here in Asia, it is mad. I live in Mongolia, by the way, for people who don't right. don't know. And um, so, uh, I mean, here we, I, I think the official rate is eighteen percent inflation, and a lot of the world is looking at these kind of numbers. The U.S. is relatively low at the, you know, it's eight nine percent, marginally higher than Europe. But uh, but also when I say marginally higher than Europe, that means an average across Europe, right? So there are parts right. of Europe that are suffering much higher inflation. But you know before the pandemic, like I remember the first day that they did the first lockdown because I worked in Cambodia for a long time and I know what it is for people to be in poverty mm -hmm. and, you know, something like 20% of the world's population earns less than $2 a day. They get paid in cash every single day so they could buy rice and eat it and get up and work again the next day. Wow. The first day of lockdown, those people missed a full day's food. Right. Wow. Nobody, so this is, yeah. I mean, this this is what this thing did to other parts of the world. As bad as things were in the states, and of course, the states is my country, and that's my heart. But I just want you to understand how bad this was in the rest of the world. So now you got that, and then you get uh, these countries are heavily dependent on donors. Guess what? Nobody's donating anything for two years, right? And right. charities all around the world suffering. Here in Cambodia, something like at least I think ten percent of kids that go to school mm -hmm. are receiving money from you, you know those things where you could like uh, adopt a kid thirty dollars yep. a month. Yep. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of those organizations, and thank God, and they're very good organizations. But right. there's a number of those, and Save the Children, UNICEF, whatever. So put all those organizations together and almost one in 10 Mongolian kids are getting that money and uh, kids in America, right. That are in, you know, broken homes, inner cities, mm -hmm. you know, terrible situations, right. We don't have actual hunger in America, but we do have uh, poor nutrition right. uh, among the poorest people. Well, they were very dependent on school meals and the schools mm -hmm. closed and now they're not getting meals at school. Right. So, so we have this horrible situation. So now the U S is raising interest rates, which is the right thing to do because mm -hmm. we have to fight inflation. But when you raise interest rates, what does that do? If you raise interest rates in the United States, people will invest in the United States. Okay. So right. this is why we're seeing our dollar going up. That's it, why the it, dollar's going up. 
Oh, that's okay. That makes a lot of sense now. So basically, so, go ahead. There's two things. When there's a crisis, generally people are going to invest in the United States. They're going to put their money wherever they think it's safe. Generally, mm -hmm. they feel like the United States is safe. So crisis is already going to bring money to the U.S. And uh, then number two is we're raising interest rates. You raise interest rates that attracts investment. So now the U.S. is receiving tons and tons of foreign investment. And to invest in the U.S., you have to buy dollars. So they go on the world market, they buy dollars, and that drives up the price of the dollar. And that's why the currency is so high. So the reason the reason why they're investing is because, of one, they're getting a high interest rate back for the money. that. So I'm a foreign lender. I, I'm going to use simple numbers. I give $1,000. I can now ask for a higher interest rate on top of my $1,000 that I just gave. So it creates opportunities for foreign investors because of the high interest rate. Right. Yeah. So, so in other words, another government might be offering, you know, 1%. Hang on a second. I got to plug in my computer. Yeah. Okay. I just got that battery warning thing. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So like another government might be offering 1% interest and the U S is offering three, for example. So then of course you can invest where it's 3%. And of course the U S is very low, uh, risk, right? Mm -hmm. It's considered zero risk. Yeah, so, that's something that's not being said. So I'm very glad that you explained it because everybody is um, looking at this and saying, you know, our, our dollar's going up. And then, of course, you have everybody that says, you know, we're going back to a gold-backed currency. Uh, okay. Um, and then silver, we're, oh, buy silver, buy gold, because America's going to go back to that gold-backed currency. I'm like, uh, unfortunately, the scary thing is I think we're going to a digital currency, not a gold-backed currency. Um, but now it explains why, to, and this is good, this is good I can, it, it explains why our dollar is becoming so good. Well, one, if we're the last one to crumble, so if you're going to put your money someplace, it's, it, the dollar's a good bet. But two, the foreign investors are turning a higher profit on that interest rate. So that's, that's a right. huge one right. I want to explain to people. So thank you for that. But now, as, if I am holding dollars, again, okay, now. Oh, just a moment. So, so you asked me how that's affecting the world. So yes. our high dollar, okay, so the high dollar, all raw materials are priced in dollars. Right? All raw all materials, materials, okay. Petrol, coal, steel, iron, you know, these things are all priced into copper, all, the, all priced in dollars. Wow. So okay. if you're a country that's heavily dependent on importing raw materials, natural resources, now those things are very expensive, which is one of the reasons why prices are going up, you know, even in the States, right? Because these, these products are used in every product, every finished product that you have in your home, right? Has these raw materials in there. Wow. Okay. So that I didn't know either. So, okay. So if you're looking to build, you know, steel or things like that, it's priced inside. So now how does that affect? So the price of that in other countries is also going up. So if I'm looking to build, yes. I mean, again, simple numbers. I'm looking to build a house in another country and I did, I budgeted for $20,000. Now that could be $30,000 because of how, and let alone how fast our inflation went up was also a kick in the teeth, basically. Yep. So now that, so now you're basically have a rush to buy goods as fast as you can before it goes up again, if, if for a possibility for that. So now you're looking at that or not so much. Yeah. 
that's not that that's a blip on the radar though like people okay. rushing out to buy stuff that that's a blip on the radar the issue is that if the price of steel goes up let's say that you were planning to build it you know an apartment building mm -hmm. you know a big skyscraper or something and you budgeted a certain amount of money and you're getting ready to start the project and suddenly it turns out that uh, the raw materials have increased in price by 10 or 15 percent and you were and you were banking on an eight percent profit Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. A 10% increase in cost means you're now going to be negative, right? Yeah. So you cancel the project. So now the 300 construction workers that would have worked there, the guy that drives the gut truck, you know, the truck mm. drivers, the uh, like everybody all down the line now loses their job. Yeah, that's another good point. That's, and that's both here and outside of the country, too. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. That's and again, it's like you know somebody somebody used the I was at a meeting tonight. Uh, so yeah, so so just with folks at home, Sage wanted to do this at a reasonable time. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, know. One, I I I had another meeting. I had a uh, a networking thing here in uh, in Ulaanbaatar, right? And uh, this guy, this was great. This guy said about America. He goes, it's the least dirty shirt in the in the laundry. <laughs> right. You know, it's like the whole the whole world is collapsing, but America's still gonna be on top, you know. And is that but, yeah. And you mentioned that a couple of times in regards to the world. Is the collapse be in your opinion, obviously, is it uh, obviously we have a war in Ukraine going on, which affects, you know, the breadbasket and everything else, but is it that everything from the you know, COVID to you know, the pandemic to the war to, that that just all seems to be popping at the same time, basically. Yeah. Or is there just that's basically it? Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's basically it. I mean, two two years of very low revenues, two years of very high spending, and then we come out of that. We got inflation. We got you know the war in Ukraine. We got um, you know petrol prices going up. Potential energy emergency in the EU. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I, I spent the whole day today. I was working on a, on a defense report that uh, that was uh, wound up. I was supposed to cover several things, and I and one of them was Greece. Yeah. And when I got into what's going on in Greece, I went, "Oh my goodness!" Like I did <laughs> not realize what a linchpin. It, it's right in the middle of because of, mm -hmm. of you know where it's located. You know the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean, and then with the access up to the Black Sea, mm -hmm. this is basically. The Middle Eastern oil, the right. gas for the Middle East has to go through here. Then you got access to Ukraine, to Russia. And I'm like, my goodness, this is like the most important thing, which is really funny because I've been covering uh, Gwadar port in Pakistan, yeah. you know, for years. Um, yeah, like Pakistani think tank reached out to me a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know anything about this in, I don't know, maybe six, eight years ago. And this Pakistani uh, delegation actually came to Shanghai and they hired me. Mm -hmm. work on this thing and it was related to the uh the port guadar port in pakistan which is controlled by china right and the whole point is that china is trying to get an overland route to get energy overland through pakistan through mm -hmm. central asia to china so they, they can avoid the u.s seventh fleet you know if they had to take it through the ocean right mm -hmm. or across the ocean and um so i've been so focused on that i never really thought much about greece and then today i'm like working on this thing in greece i'm like oh my goodness but it is just with like the situation in the rest of the world economically is just mm -hmm. so bad as bad as things are in america it's a million times worse pretty much everywhere else um and also a lot of places still have covid restrictions oh really you know yeah yeah a lot of places still have, i mean they're not 100 percent back right and and everybody's been so uh uh hypnotized i don't know what else to call it right. they're, they're so conditioned now after two years of having all their freedoms taken away 
that they're actually, I'll, I'll read a headline. Oh, Malaysia, completely open now. No restrictions. And I'm like, I bet it's not. And then I read the report. No, it's not. Like, like I knew China. Like I knew China yeah. was no no joke still, but I didn't still know that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know Malaysia and everybody else was still doing some. Well, uh, like like they're not necessarily doing lockdowns, but mm-hmm. then they might have very restricted. You know, like like Japan was only allowing tourists for eight days, right? You know, because and, and, but I you know what though in Japan's defense, I talked to some scientists. They said nine days COVID. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's the logic, right? It's, yeah. you're allowed in for eight days, but if you stay for nine, you know that's going to cause COVID. You know, but 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 there's all these restrictions that are still in place, like crazy nonsense restrictions. They're still in place in a lot of places. So this is hurting their economy. Yeah. You know, tourism's down, you know, everywhere. So country, so whatever percentage of the GDP was coming from tourism, that part's down, right? And then, you know, petrol prices are up. And that affects the price of everything. And the big thing uh, about petrol is that um, it's it's an input for plastic. You know, plastic yes, is yes. dependent on oil. 100%. And plastic's yep. in everything. You know, every product you have has plastic in it. And right. That, that's why it affects prices so much. But, um, yeah, cause yeah, I, I mean, these, yeah, the other thing too, that I get a lot of is, um, well one, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk about this a little bit, the gold and silver people are like, you know, the U S dollar is going to go back to a gold backed currency and, and, and Russia is going to do a gold backed currency and China is going to do a gold backed currency buy silver, buy gold. Now I, I'm not an investment person. And I do say, yeah, it, you know, if you want to collect gold and silver or something as an investment, I did baseball cards at one time, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's great to have, but do you see that in any way? Do you, I mean, I've gone over this a million times that, Hey, at one time it was great, but it's not as efficient anymore to have a gold, right. To carry all this gold. No. So the the problem, the problem with, with God, I mean, there's a lot of problems with gold, right? Because that was the other reason we came off of real quick was back then in 70 was Nixon. We got off gold because of the same type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, when you have when you have a gold-backed currency, the government is is nearly powerless to regulate the money supply because the benefit of gold, right? The people mm-hmm. that support gold, right? Mm-hmm. They go, well, there's a fixed amount of gold, so you can't have inflation. Okay. 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 So let's say that there's let's let's this. I'm an economist, so I'm allowed to say let's say <laughs> yeah, let's okay. say, and then I can make anything I want, right? <laughs> So let's say the world has a hundred people. All right. Okay. Let's say the world has a hundred people and there's a hundred dollars worth of gold. Okay. And then 10 of those people have a baby. Oh dear. We had a hundred dollars worth of gold divided among a hundred people. That's $1 each, right? Yes. 10 of them have a baby. Right. We don't get a dollar each anymore. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then those babies have babies and the population keeps increasing. And so every baby that's born, we all get poorer because there's a fixed amount of money and it just doesn't grow. Right. So that's one of the problems with gold is that there's a fixed amount. There's something like all the gold that's ever been mined in the history of the world, I believe, is something like nine trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. GDP is 20, 20 trillion. And you were already over. And you could, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and then the global GDP, you could imagine. I, I forgot the number off the top of my head. I just did a paper on this, but, uh, you know, the global GDP, add up the GDP of China, U.S., Germany, right? All these countries, and you add this up, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. So it's like, how could you function if you only had $9 trillion worth of currency? 
Yeah. So you can't, yeah, you can't be on a gold standard for that reason. And Warren Buffett was actually one who turned me on to that argument. I knew all the other arguments like, well, the government can't regulate uh, monetary policy if we're on a gold standard, right? So if you have a recession, the government can't say, oh, you know, what we'll do, we'll increase the money supply. Well, you can't do that because it's gold. I don't even know how credit would work. Like yeah, I've tried to get people who support gold to walk me through it. Well, would there still be credit? Like, would I still be able to go to the bank and, and borrow money? Because you're arguing that if we have gold, we'll only spend what we have and we'll eliminate debt. Okay, well, so, so there's going to be no credit. How would anybody build anything? Right. Like skyscraper, you know, 747. How, you know, there's only, I think, what, what, there's like 200 billionaires or something. Like, how many people could afford to build even one airplane? Yeah, not, not I'm not it. Just so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they don't even let me work on an airplane. I mean, right. you know. Actually, yeah. they might not even let me fly in an airplane anymore after this video. No. Um, and I. So we do see other countries going to a central bank digital currency type yeah. type money. Now, yeah. do you are you? What is that like? At, at some point, what is the what is that kind of because we know China's there. China's definitely yep. a, a huge push for that. Um, they're doing yep. it. They wanted to push it during the Olympics. Uh, they wanted, you know, is, is that the answer? I mean, at this point, I mean, no, no, not at all. No, the digital currency has all the same. This is what I don't understand. The, the pro digital currency people, all the arguments they make. I mean, it's just. Uh, Every one of them has huge, huge holes in them. One of them is somehow this is going to prevent the government from overspending. I'm like, wait, I mean, if the government can create digital currency out of the air, that's <laughs> going to prevent them from creating digital currency out of the air. Like, I, I don't understand how that's going to help. Uh, the only thing it'll do is give the government that much more control over how you spend your money. Right. And this is what I try to explain to people also. And they and, and, even, and it's coming because we even had the Fed now. We have Fed now coming, right? I mean, supposed to be out in 2023 of July, July 2023. Um, it, I don't know. And this is one of the things that it's like, it's being pushed and it's going, but it, and it's not what we want, the people want. But how is that? How does it not come? Like, how do you even stop that? How do you even think about that stopping? That I don't know. I mean, but, but interestingly is that China, you know, because I worked in China for seven years. You right. Know? And in China, we have this WeChat, which is like WhatsApp. You're right. But it's everything. It's it, 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 to say that it's like WhatsApp is is cutting it very short. It is literally everything you normally do on the internet. That's what WeChat is. It's everything. It's your Facebook. It's your WhatsApp. It's your banking. It's everything. And the and the WeChat Pay. Every single what well, if you have WeChat, you have WeChat Pay. Mm -hmm. So nobody carries cash anymore. Like like in China. They're all almost a cashless society at this point. And um, so they had this WeChat pay. And then the government is coming with the cryptocurrency. And it was really weird because when you read all the benefits of cryptocurrency, oh, you don't have to carry cash. I'm like, but Chinese people don't carry cash anyway. They have WeChat pay. Right. Oh, well, um, you know, you could use it anywhere. We'll use WeChat anywhere. Yeah, but you know, every argument, I'm like, no, that's covered by just a really good digital payment system, right? You right. don't have to have digital currency. And uh, sure enough, they roll out this digital currency in China and nobody wants it. Even Chinese people do not want it. Oh, really? Yeah, because they have WeChat. Why Why do I need a digital currency? I have WeChat. 
There's so, no money in the bank. Are they for, and I'm glad we brought up China. Are they forcing it now onto them? I, I don't think they're forcing it yet, but I would not be surprised if they will. Like, for example, if they might say tomorrow that government employees are paid in government cryptocurrency or something like that. Like, like mm. I could easily. And, and if they did that, then everybody like, for example, why does WeChat work so well in China? Why did why are you guaranteed that if you have your phone, you can pay anything to anyone because they don't allow any other apps? Oh, so okay. all, yeah. So they have a 100 percent market penetration but the benefit of that is then you could use it everywhere whereas now i i try and send somebody a paypal you know to first of all in the u.s we've never had very good um sort of account to account wiring right you know that that was easy and 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 you just you know at the click of a mouse like it really is a pain in the neck right mm -hmm. so i don't like doing that so i always tell people i go well you know i have paypal i'll, I'll send you paypal it's pretty right. easy and then people are, oh do you have this uh what is it vimeo or something uh, vimeo so well, yeah, vimeo, yeah, vimeo yeah. right and then you have cash app and then you have a bunch of these other ones i do paypal yeah exactly but in china because there's only one it's really convenient everybody has wechat and you don't even, and you have to ask somebody. That's the other thing. Like, if I want to send money to you on PayPal, I got to call you or send you, hey, what's your PayPal right. your email, right? And um, with China, if you're on my WeChat, I can just send you money. It's like literally that simple. Click of a button. Wow. Well, yeah. and, so why would they? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. In regards to China, one of the other things I want to talk about for the, <laughs> we even talked about this. China, and we can use the word because I asked permission and he told me he'll even say it now, is actually imploding. The, it, there's no, I mean, it, it, there is a possible, we're not there yet. The economy, I know, the economy, the economy, the economy, the economy the country, right. Yeah. Not the country, yeah. the economy. You're even very close. I mean, it's, it's almost there. You're almost ready to say it fully. The word implosion, almost. right. Is actually almost. happening there. What is going on? Yeah. I don't like doomsday, you know, predictions, right. right. They never come true. And could, because, because they could, because they negate, human action like right. like humans if humans see for example the sea right rising very slowly they will right they will take action against that like it's just not gonna happen but um with the chinese economy for the first time i you know i, I just finished a report a couple of days ago and i went oh my god i think i think for the first time i'm beginning to believe chinese economy is going to collapse now i don't think that collapse means it's going to be mad max right you know, I don't think it's that on The Walking Dead or something. It's not going to be like that kind of a collapse, but I think it'll be a collapse where like China's growth rate is going to drop to normal mm -hmm. levels, like, you know, 2% or something like that, the same as the U.S. Um, and uh, and I think that they're going to be, that their technological advancement is going to grind to a halt right. because of that. But yeah, that's what I believe. And the reason why, and, and, and I'll tell you what. So everybody keeps talking about the debt bubble in China, right? Yes. So China's public debt is like 300% of GDP. Okay. Something a lot of people don't realize. So people, if you're going to go fact check me and you're going to come back in, no, it's only 68%. Look again, that is government debt. Oh, okay. Government debt is 68%. Public debt is everything. It's almost 300%. Maybe it's like 280, 270, right, of GDP. All right, so what does that mean? So we have in China the same problems you have everywhere else except mm -hmm. ongoing COVID lockdowns. Mm -hmm. And people are afraid to spend money. Where Americans, right now, Americans are spending money, right? A lot of Americans right. are spending money. They, you know, probably the pandemic nonsense, the, 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 the lockdowns and all that are probably behind us. 
most people I think are confident to sort of spend money and consumer spending's up in the States. In China, people are terrified. If they have cash, they're holding on to it because they go, hey, there might be a lockdown tomorrow. I'm not allowed to go to work for six months. So they're not spending their money. So consumer spending is down, um, which of course then means jobs are down. And in China, the unemployment figures are very misleading. Like the, the unemployment figure is less than 6%, I believe right now, mm -hmm. right? Youth unemployment, 20%. Really? 20%, yeah. 20% of young people are unemployed right now. Uh, China just graduated the largest cohort, cohort of university graduates, something like 11 million. Mm -hmm. 11, they normally graduate like 8 million a year. And I think this 11. year may have been 11 million kids graduated college, entering the, the job market. 20% of them are unemployed. 11 million, right? 11, 11 million, million kids are going into the job, into the workforce. Yeah. I think it might, it might be like 10.5 million. Somebody's going to fact check and write in. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, the other reason why the Chinese unemployment figures are uh, misleading is that it does not count the migrant workers. So the migrant workers, now these are Chinese citizens, right? So it's right. not like the U.S. where we might be talking about, you know, uh, foreign workers, mm -hmm. um, you know, that conspiracy theory, because that's <laughs> not true. Right. Um, so you have these people that are registered as living in the countryside on a farm somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's their registration. But in reality, they go to Shanghai, they go to Shenzhen, they go to the big cities to work in the factories, and that's how they actually make their money. And that's and that's the bulk of the factory workforce. Is these? Uh, it is estimated that there's 250 million of these people that go from the countryside to the city to work in the factories. Can you imagine 250 million? Which, which is right about the size of the U.S. workforce. So it's like, yeah. it, I think it's bigger, bigger, bigger than the U.S. work. I think the total labor force in the U.S. is like 200, 220, something like that. So like just migrant workers are already more than the U.S. workforce. Now, these people go from the countryside to work in the uh, factories. During the pandemic, these people weren't allowed to travel. Oh, right. You just lost. They weren't allowed. <sighs> yeah. They weren't allowed to travel. And the ones who made it there, because they're desperate, right? So they like, oh, right. got to get to the city. So somehow they got there, right? Some combination of, you know, whatever, you know, cars, planes, trains, automobiles, and right. monkeys, right? So they get there. Oh, I'm sorry, the factory's closed. COVID. Oh, you that that's that that's another thing. It, it, that's a lot of people showing that's up. A lot of people. That's a lot of people. And that and that that's, that's another people. aspect. And then if you want to go to the hospital or you want to put your kid in school or whatever, they say, show me your ID card because it has your birth number on there. It's called the HUCO number. They register your birth when you're born mm -hmm. at the place where you're born and your rights are dependent on where you're born. So if you're born in the countryside like that, you have very little rights. And particularly in the city, you have, you have, you have none, right? Because you're not from there. You, right. you know, if you're from Shanghai, you get to use the Shanghai facilities. If you're not from Shanghai, you're not supposed to be using them. So these people just wound up screwed. Anyway, now you've got rolling lockdowns. Right. So you got these, these people. Number one, I am guessing, I have not verified this, I would have to believe that a lot of these people are not even trying anymore after two, two and a half years. Yeah. And I, you know, and then a lot of them, they did try, right? So they go to the city and they're working now. And then there's a lockdown, right? Mm -hmm. Suzhou was under uh, uh, lockdown. Shenzhen's been under lockdown. Shanghai was all over the news. But when Shanghai was locked down and it was all over the news in the States, something like 300 other cities were on lockdown. Yeah. I, th that and I remember. Make, yeah. And, yeah. And that's just a few weeks ago. I mean, so, that's, 
What does that mean for, for us? Like, what is a China, how, how much dependency that we have, obviously, as, you know, we buy everything from China. Um, even with the, um, uh, the RECP, which is the, the new trade deal that they have that, you know, technically. What R- is RCP, it, yeah. Yeah, there is, what does that mean for us? Like an, an implosion of tech, you know, basically, again, implosion meaning it, it's not going to, like you said, it's not going to be doomsday, but it's still going to be a lot of technology lost, a lot of advancement lost, a lot of that stuff. What does that kind of mean for us? Maybe not oh, today, I'm, but go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry I got sidetracked. Didn't tell you why it's going to implode. I was just telling you oh, why yes. it's bad. Go ahead. <laughs> this is why it's going to implode. So the real estate sector, right? And this is all over the news in America. Probably the average person knows, you know, right. China's having this real estate bubble. Okay. So the real estate sector, if you look it up right now online, you'll probably find uh, articles that tell you that the real estate sector is like 20% of the, the economy. It's too dependent on real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about to, you know, collapse, you know, under debt. Yeah, but that number 20% is, again, very misleading because that's directly related to real estate. Then you have raw materials companies, you have processing companies, transportation mm. companies, labor, right? Laborers, right? The labor, if, if the building doesn't get built, the laborer loses his job. If the laborer uses his, loses his job, he doesn't go to the cinema. The cinema doesn't sell as many tickets, right? He doesn't buy as much clothing for his family. The clothing store goes out of business, right? So it sends ripples all through the economy. So that's one problem. And that is one that everybody's identifying. Now, one of the ones that I am really, really looking closely at is that to stimulate the Chinese economy, Mm -hmm. the government, the central government of China regulates the amount of bonds that local governments can issue, provincial governments, cities, things like that. They're allowed to issue bonds, right? And this is how they get money to do stuff, right? So, and then they put that money into the economy. So the government, the central government, was telling them cut down your bonds because uh so many of these um um, state and local governments are in financial trouble now they're heavily indebted they're in financial trouble and this is adding to this 300 percent debt that they have in china Mm -hmm. so the government was saying you know austerity stop spending money you're only allowed to issue so many bonds and of course they have to obey uh this year the government's saying oh the economy is really in trouble we need to stimulate the economy we're going to increase the amount of bonds you're allowed to sell so now these these heavily indebted states, state and city governments, I keep saying states with their provincial right. governments, but they're going to issue these bonds. They're going to go heavier into debt. Their earlier debts, they already can't pay. They're going to add more debt on top of that. How do they normally repay debts? Right. The way they normally repay debts is by selling real estate. Oh, doomed. 80% of their income, I believe, is derived from real estate sales. And what's down right now? Real estate. And they just made it to where it's very difficult. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. It was a three-level thing that they did in regards to who they can sell real estate to to also, right? Like foreign. and they, yeah. they changed the rules on that. The government changed the rules on. So now they can't even. So who are they selling this real estate to? Who are buying these well, bonds first of all. When they sell real estate, okay, you, in China, you cannot own land. Nobody can, not even Chinese citizens. You're not actually buying real estate. You're buying a lease, like an 80-year lease on a on a property. You're allowed to own an apartment, but you can't own land, gotcha. first of all. So let's let's be clear on that, um, which is another reason why America is the least dirty shirt in the, in the laundry. <laughs> right. I, I'm telling you, man, 
you pick point at any any problem in America, and I'll show you ten problems everywhere else. Like, <laughs> like America's it's like the greatest country, man. Um, but uh, yeah, like foreign real estate sales weren't a big thing, but it's always been one of my arguments that China. Oh, we want fair trade, fair trade. Uh, well, trade with China has never been fair. Right. Chinese people on a tourist visa. Think about this. You can enter the U.S. on a tourist visa legally, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that. And then you can go get a driver's license. Like, I guess I'm fine with that. But once you have a driver's license, no one would even know that you're not. So like the only thing you can't do at that point is work. Right. You're Correct. allowed to do essentially everything. Can't vote. Can't work. You do everything else. You're allowed to buy a gun. Yes. Right, yeah. you're not allowed to buy a gun in your home country. You can go to the U.S. on holiday, get a driver's license, buy a gun. You're allowed to buy a house. You're allowed to buy farmland, which they are next to military bases. You're allowed to buy farmland next to military bases. You're allowed to open a DNA testing uh, facility. Yeah, you know that that the two major DNA testing, the, the commercial ones, uh, to, what's it called, fifty four and me or 20? yeah, uh, it's like a number one two three DNA me is one. Right. Yeah. And then 54. And yeah. 54 and me or something was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. And there's one that I think maybe it has like the word DNA or heritage. And anyway, these things are owned by China. <laughs> They're owned by China. What, that, um, what could fertility. go wrong? Yeah. Fertility clinics. Fertility clinics. Where? Next to military bases owned by China. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So and again, you know, they're picking up. Yeah, it's it's lawfare, so you can't. You know, it's very difficult. You know what I mean? They're using lawfare against us. These are our laws. They're just playing by the legal. rules. It's legal. <laughs> it's so. legal in the U.S. And would and we you would never be allowed to do any any of that in China, right? And so many countries will not allow you to buy land as a foreigner. Even countries that allow you to buy land on the, as a foreigner may not allow you to buy farmland. Right. For obvious reasons, you think controlling the the food supply, you know. But the U.S. so so that that's totally unfair. But uh, unfair uh, aside, so China, what I believe is going to happen is that the debt. I mean, they're just going to collapse under this debt. And I hate to use the word Ponzi scheme because it's overused, right? right? But the way that this reflects a Ponzi scheme, if you keep borrowing mm -hmm. and borrowing to fund the growth. That's like a Ponzi scheme because the Ponzi scheme can keep existing as long as more money's coming in. Right. You know, that's Bernie Madoff. You know, he was able to keep getting people to put money in because he was sending them dividend checks. Well, you can only send them dividend checks if people were sending money in, right? Because the money wasn't really invested. He was just spending it. And then what he didn't spend, he'd send them as dividend checks. And he would say, oh, you earned 10% this month. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. you gave me... You, you gave me a million dollars, even like you gave me a million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And I send you a check for $30,000 for this month. Right. You're like, wow, that's a huge interest rate. It is. But I spent your million dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. It's nothing on it top of the million. 30, right. Yeah. It's, it costs so, me 30000 So where does that kind of leave us? When this does implode and this does, you know, collapse on its, itself, where does that leave places like us, United States, whose biggest consumer is obviously buying goods from China? Yeah, well, I mean, look, look, the pandemic in general, and, and you're a supply chain guys, you know better yeah. than, than anybody, right? But pandemic in general made people rethink the supply chains, which right. should be reshoring. Um, ongoing lockdowns in China are causing a lot of American companies to leave. Um, one of the consulting companies I work for 
um, I, I work in these expert networks, so I don't know my clients. Right. Uh, yeah, there's this whole thing that like mm -hmm. I can't know the client, and but I talk to them, but I, I just can't know who they are. But I know that um, some of the clients that I'm working for right now are uh, getting ready to leave China because you just can't. How can you plan like that? Right. You know, if you're planning for you know a five percent profit, an eight percent profit. And then you get shut down for one month that's an eight percent profit out the window yeah. right that's your whole year's profit out the window and you don't know when that's going to happen how do you build that into your planning exactly you know yeah you so, can't so, and, and they're moving to yeah. places like vietnam or india or other you know other yeah. of these countries because Indonesia, yeah now and like i explained in, in the logistics it's china has them beat because they've been doing it for so long they have the they have the manufacturing plants they have the supply chain they have the trucking they have all this in place it's there right you go to some place yeah. like and and they can handle the volume you want, right? Yep. You go to yep. Vietnam and they could build the plants and build the roads and build the stuff, but it's going to take them longer to get you the volume you want. You know? Well, what I'm yeah, saying? and also and also Vietnam like wants you to build. You have to build the, the plant, right. or and there might be a plant, but yeah, right. So they yeah, want or you, you to, have put to pay it in. for the electricity to go to the plant, like because they don't have the logistics in Vietnam. Right. You know, they're happy to have you, but. But they don't have all that. So you got to build all that. And Vietnam now, you're looking at about uh, around $200 a month, you know, maybe $190 a month for salary for a factory worker. In China, you're probably looking at more like $350. So it is more in China. Right. But, you know, you start looking, well, it's $150 I'm saving by going to Vietnam. But then I got to put in the electricity and this and that. Right. And China, for all of its faults, uh, you have reasonable security in China that if Correct. you build the factory, they're not going to nationalize it. They're not going to steal it, right? Um, Vietnam, you don't know, you what's know gonna, right? And that's the yeah, stuff yeah. again. And this is some of the stuff they're looking at. So even even if we were to pull in and Vietnam was more people more industry friendly, the amount of time it's going to take to build the plant to get up and running yep. to the amount of you know production that a China can do today, how you know yes. can you wait for that? You know what I mean? Yep. Can your business wait for that? And that's a big deal also. So let me. Yeah. And then also the, the, the cost of setting up. So like, um, you know, garments were like the first thing to leave China. Right. Mm -hmm. But apparently garment factories are much cheaper to set up. Uh, yeah. Number one. No, well, there, there's two things. One is that the markup is really small. So as soon as the labor cost or, or any other cost increased in China, uh, you just couldn't operate there. Right. So you had to, you had to move. So like um, Bangladesh, now uh, i believe i believe it's bangladesh now is is becoming like like the garment capital of the world basically and then mm. also like cambodia and indonesia a little bit they're, they're doing garments but so that's number one number two is that the setup cost was a lot cheaper for a garment factory but like if you're an automotive factory yeah it, it, yeah i mean you know billions of dollars maybe i don't know hundreds hundreds of millions whatever it is to move your factory Right. It's really difficult to do. So prices or conditions would have to become horrible for you to even consider it. And the other thing is that uh, one of the factors that contributes to a country becoming rich or to a country becoming a good destination for manufacturing, one of the factors is whether or not there's a local market. Mm. So if you open in, in, in China with the intent of exporting your product to the United States to sell it, one of the benefits of doing that in China is that you can also sell domestically and yeah. make tons of money. So like the Apple plant or whatever, yes, they're, they're assembling Apple products for the United States, but they're also selling them in China and making a lot of money. You know, Vietnam is not that rich yet, you know, and I love Vietnam, you know, and I really wish, I really wish we could just give them all the business that yeah. we have in China, you know, 
because because I do love them and I and, and I wish that we could pull all of Southeast Asia, you know, deeper into mm-hmm. our our orbit, you know, in India too, you know, and I really wish India would <laughs> would make a decision and choose a side. <laughs> but uh, that's another but, thing you know, too. Well, and, that's and, another thing. And the other thing too is is I don't know if China maybe thought they were too big to fail or they thought we wouldn't let them. You know, because you know we, they were like our bank system, right? They're, we're too big to fail. They're not going to let us fail. But it does seem that even now, some industries are saying we can't, we can't risk it, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. China is a too big to fail, but it's almost like countries are deciding, ah, maybe they're not. We, we're going to have to find something, even if it's, you know, we're doing it on a smaller scale now because we got to figure yeah. something out, right? Is that kind of well, well? What's worked in our favor in terms of sort of reshoring? I mean, when I say our, I mean people like you right. and me, like conservatives that want the industry to come back to the U.S. or go to friendly nations that are not China. Um, one of the things that's worked in our favor is that there's been a huge nationalistic movement in China. So mm-hmm. they are demanding uh, uh, local products. Like for the first time, there was a Chinese movie, you know, the the, the Battle of Chosun yes. uh, Reservoir. Yep. Yeah. And like for the first time, they had a Chinese movie that's, you know, grossed on par with like the Marvel movies. Right. right. And the same thing's happening with the Chinese running shoes brand and all this stuff. You know, it's all it's all, you know, the, I think for the first time, the Chinese running shoes are either on par with Nike or, you know, cashing up with Nike. You know? mm-hmm. So so it, it, that's really good, though. That's good. That's right. good news. Because if Nike makes less money in China, they and then they have to put up with all the nonsense also. It's like, all right, you know what? Maybe we'll just go ahead and move. You know, we'll go to Bangladesh or we'll go to wherever. And and we want to thank Nike because, unfortunately, Nike, you went there. They stole all your technology, and now they're making sneakers. So good for you guys for not paying attention. Uh, but allegedly, either way. So one other thing I wanted to kind of talk about real quick was bricks and regards the fact that bricks and the – threatening or they're throwing it out there with Russia and, and everything about a a second reserve currency or them taking over the reserve currency. What is the, is there a possibility for that? I mean, is that something that, I mean, obviously one of the reasons we've talked about this before is we're a great reserve currency is people know we're going to pay our debts, right? They, they, they know right. that the United States is good on their credit. Um, so that's a big influencer because at any time you think, we have sanctions. Try upsetting China. You're going to see sanctions like you've never seen before if they're the reserve currency, right? So right, right. is is BRICS a viable um, uh, solution for them, or and is it even feasible, in your opinion? It's not. It's not. So the U.S. has, as you said, the U.S. is a reserve currency because everyone knows we pay our debts. Number two, commodities are priced in dollars. Mm-hmm. So countries have to keep dollars in order to buy commodities. So what would you do with a BRICS currency? If you were if you were holding BRICS currency, what would you do with it? You could only trade it within the BRICS countries, correct? Basic, and it, basically, yeah. So as technology, yeah, so base, and let me make sure. So let's say, and and we, if we don't give it away, which or have it stolen from us, we advance on intellectual property and technology here, right? It's we're it's a huge yes. thing we do. So down the road, we can say, well, if you want our our technology or our intellectual property or anything like that, you know, our chips or stuff that we're pushing towards now, you're going to have to pay us in U.S. dollars. So either way, you're still going to have to hold a U.S. dollar. It's not going to go, it's not going to go away. It's not like Venezuela, which, you know what I mean? Holding the U.S. dollar is because we're still able to produce, you know, advanced technologies and things like that. You still have to hold that. But I hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's all going to go away. It's going to be like Venezuela. 
No, and no, it's ridiculous. And um, the other the other thing that we have though is the Swift system, right? Right. So you've got you know thousands and thousands of banks around the world that are on the Swift system, you know, which functions with dollars, right? And uh, if the U.S. doesn't want you on the Swift, you know, you're you 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 essentially can't do import and export, you know, because you won't be able to receive payment or send payment. You know, so like China has a, um, oh gosh, what was the name of this thing? They have this, uh, this, uh, this organization that they formed like with Russia to uh, be able to circumvent the dollar. Right. And the SWIFT. Yep. And, and no, yeah. Well, so, so there's the SIPS, which is the Chinese. Right. Uh, right. Which is the Chinese SWIFT basically. But the SIPS, there's like nobody on it. Right. Like one of the issues is other countries have to be on it or else. You know, it's useless, right? right. You, you know, and Russia has one too. Russia has has also a swift alternative. It's actually in place and they only use it for communication because it can't actually handle transactions yet. And and again, it's only like, you know, three or four countries that, that are even willing to do it. It's like Iran. It's like the rogues gallery. It's so funny. It's like Iran, you know, Bangladesh <laughs> might join it now. Right. You know, it's I'm like, yeah, they're gonna put us out of business. But uh, but but this other one I, w- I was talking about. Um, so the, the 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 province that borders right on Russia, right? Mm-hmm. So they have this agreement with Russia, and they're physically moving cash, like in trucks. <laughs> like wow, they're putting you know RMV in trucks, and then they're driving it like to and Russia. And I, and I don't see how that could ever you know not go, go wrong there. Yeah, nothing go wrong there. And I'm sure when it gets to Russia, it's no problem to just like count it. Right. It's it's all there. Oh, it's all there. Yeah, sign here. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you have to be on the SWIFT. I mean, you have to be on the SWIFT and you have to use dollars. So so the strength of the dollar is a big benefit for us. The security of the dollar is a big benefit of us. The fact that we control the SWIFT, that's a a benefit to us. Now, now the um, BRICS, the funny thing is there's the BRICS is proposing to have a BRICS reserve currency. Right. And... um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, mm-hmm. which is also led by China, is also proposing a reserve currency. And I love it because it's like oh. China has proposed two different reserve currencies and then two different trading systems, you know, for money, which would be uh, the Russian one or the Chinese one. And I'm like, oh, good. I hope they come up with the third one and the fourth one because right? yeah, I, I, it only I, works if everybody agrees, you know. Right, and and because this is another big topic that's that's usually said is that you know, um, in regards to like uh, the dollar and and the fact that you know you're gonna wake up tomorrow and your dollar is gonna be worth ten cents. And I'm like, no, there's we we still have things that we sell. And being legit, we still have a lot of things that we sell. Is it a threat? It's not the best thing, right? You don't you you don't want a BRICS currency, but you can't stop it, right? If they want to group together and be their own little team, well, they're they're gonna they're gonna do that, and you sanction and you do stuff like that. But it's not, and and even somebody mentioned that there could be more than one reserve currency. I can't remember if it was a chairman, the Fed chairman, or whatever. That there could be, but the U.S. it doesn't go away because there's so many other countries that need it. Well, so there are other reserve currencies. So, I mean, there's five, the IMF SDR, the IMF uh, special drawing rights currencies, there's five of them, right? So it's the US dollar, the euro, the yuan, 
the Japanese yen and the British pound. So those are the five international currencies. Mm -hmm. So if you are um, a member of the IMF and you need currency, you need reserve currency or, or, or you need a loan or you need uh, money from the IMF, they'll give it to you as what they call a basket of currency. So it'll be the mix of these five things. But the dollar is, uh, I think, about 60 some odd percent. And then euro is like 20 some odd percent and the other currencies are less. But so there are reserve currencies. And the other thing is that those are the five international currencies, but there's about probably about 13 hard currencies in the world. Uh, current, so in other words, current hard currency is one you wouldn't mind holding if you had to, right? Right. Canadian, Canadian dollars. Right. Right. They're fine. They're fine. Swiss francs. They're fine. Mm -hmm. uh, all the Scandinavian countries that didn't give up and, and join the euro, mm -hmm. their, their currencies are fine. Right. Um, the uh, New Zealand dollar, Australian dollar, uh, Singapore dollar. These are all hard currencies, which means that you would be willing to keep them as reserve currencies. But the reason you don't keep a lot and, and all countries keep a little bit of each of these. Mm -hmm. But the reason they don't keep a lot is because other than as a reserve currency, they have no use. You can't use them for anything. Right. But US dollars, you keep them as a reserve currency, but you also use them to pay for raw material purchases and you know for import and export. And most import and export around the world between any two countries is done in US dollars. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So if Spain is going to buy something from, you know, Namibia, right, it's done in US dollars. Right. Um, and there's other and, ways to keep it. Because everybody's like, well, the petrol's going away. Once that goes away, I'm like, well, there's other ways we keep that. It's not just based on petrol. I mean, at one time it was backed on that, but it's it, it's not just a petrodollar anymore. I mean, I actually think right. it's going to be going nowadays. I think it's going to be like an energy dollar more towards natural gas. If you want to buy U.S. natural gas, which we are a monstrous producer of natural gas. No, we're number one. Yeah, yeah you know. Good luck. Not we're not going to take the dong. You know what I mean. We're going to you're right, going to have yeah, to yeah, give us exactly. U.S. dollars. So there are exactly. other ways to maintain that as a strong um, as a strong as a strong currency. If you look at the history of OPEC, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. Look at the history of OPEC, how it formed, and why uh, petrol is priced in dollars and not British pounds or or you know some other currency at that time. And uh, basically, the U.S. made a deal with Saudi Arabia that they are allowed to purchase U.S. government debt before it goes to the market. Oh, OK. I didn't know that because everybody's like, oh, it's for the military protection. Oh, but there's also a, yeah, a sneaky so, one. So Saudi Arabia, you know, we always have this kind of this this weird relationship with, you know, this yes. love hate kind of thing with. But but that's that's a lot of it is that we. The way we got OPEC to do what we wanted was through Saudi Arabia. And, and I would imagine they were the most uh, influential country in OPEC at that time. But OPEC, from the time OPEC was formed to the time that OPEC became important was, was, was quite a long while. And then the U.S. made a deal with Saudi Arabia. They said, listen, if you guys will price uh, petrol in dollars. Number one, it's going to be good for you for a number of right. reasons. But number two, Saudi Arabia, we're going to allow you to buy U.S. debt before it goes to the market. So as a result, Saudi Arabia has tremendous holdings of U.S. dollars. And for them, it's great. They're selling petrol. They're getting dollars for their petrol. They, they want to hold dollars. Yeah. So it works out for everybody, right? So China, every time, if you read the liberal press, they're like, oh, China and Saudi Arabia are discussing doing some of their oil trades in Yuan. And it's going to you right. know, deep, deep, you know, displace that. 
yet they've been talking about this for years and years and years. And why would Saudi Arabia want to hold Chinese currency? What are they going to do with it? Yeah, it's a good point. Saudi Arabia keeps refusing. And, and um, you know, Venezuela might be willing to, right? Right. But then the other OPEC partners are going to have some say in it. <laughs> yeah, it might not be good. We, we won't say how, uh, Tony Soprano style eventually, but either way, it, it's, you know, it, it, and I think that's a big thing, too, to kind of make sure people understand. It's, it's very difficult to understand that geopolitics and, and the way the world works isn't the way just it works here in the United States. There's a lot of leverage points and, and things that are, you know, people don't want to cross that leverage, but under kind of understanding, you know, that, Hey, it's not just the petrodollar. There's our technologies are, you know, Hey, guess what you, and here's a big one too. If you, if we're going to give you any type of financial aid or financial money for your country to help build bridges, it's going to be in U.S. dollars. You're going to have to figure out, right. you know, that exchange of us giving you money to help finance bridges or ports or things like that. You better keep U.S. dollars because we're not going to give yep. it in Chinese dollars. We're going to yep. or go to China then. You know what I mean? If you yep. want Chinese dollars. So even that is a leverage point to be able to keep the dollar in a position of you know a, re- a reserve currency right right and and this right. is a lot right. i fight this all the time it's like no no you're we're we're you know it's it's yes it's it, it, it breaks doing something yes is there a different people sharing money yeah we, and i do not like not a, no offense i do not like the digital wand that scares the hell out of me um yeah but because i don't want us saying hey that's a good idea <laughs> you know yeah but it, besides yeah. that but, yeah. but about the BRICS, just 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 one more quick point about the BRICS. Okay, so BRICS, you got Brazil, mm-hmm. Brazilian real. Is that a currency you really want to hold? Oh, I, yeah, that's another good point because right? I can't. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. The real lost something like twenty percent of its value last year. Um, you got so so BRICS. Uh, yeah, uh, Russia. You got the right, ruble, right. right? Which lost like 40 percent last year. Actually, it's doing better this year than than it did before the Ukraine invasion. If Europe figures out a way to solve their energy uh, uh, problem, right, and is able to say to Russia, we're not going to buy any energy from you. Yeah. yeah you're going to see the ruble crash. Yeah. Um, then you got India, which is the rupee. I mean, do you, do you want to hold rupee? Again, lost about 20% of its value over right. the past year. South Africa. Um, that's South Africa, which, I mean... <laughs> There's South African English teachers working in Taiwan because their monthly salary in Taiwan is higher than their annual salary in South Africa. Right. And then, of course, China. Yeah, China. China's the one exception. Right. right? That's what I'm saying. That's the only only one that makes me nervous would be China and and the digital one and the U.S. saying this. is. And and I see them. I see the Fed now coming into that. And the last thing I want the government doing is completely controlling my money. Just just, maybe that's just me. Uh, but that's not something I want them to have complete access for. So, well, yeah, I mean, like if if there's a government digital currency, so I, I haven't, I've, I've done a couple of papers on it, but but I'm not an expert on digital currency, but I've done a couple of papers on it, and um, my theory on government sovereign digital currency mm-hmm. is that the only way it can work is if they ban private cryptocurrency, right. Yeah, right. the same way you're not allowed to create another currency, paper currency right. in the United States, and right? it's I, illegal. And I do believe that's a possibility, and they use the private sector to learn the technology 
to eventually say, okay, look, we're going to go ahead and have to buy you guys out or however they're going to handle it or crash it or drive. You know what I mean? At some Let's point. Crash it. That's All they'll do. What they'll do is they'll make it illegal for shops to accept any other currency right. shops. I mean, any businesses. Right. Yeah. They'll only be able to accept sovereign. I, and I believe every country will wind up doing that. So I think the private cryptocurrencies will basically crash and then countries, governments will be able to decide which currencies are convertible and which ones aren't right so if you're if you have sanctions on iran you would just say well Iran is not allowed to use any of our cryptocurrency and we're going to ban their cryptocurrency yeah exactly yeah. well i, I want to thank you for coming on and before you jump sure. off there too I, I i enjoy doing this and like i said anytime you want to come on you let me know but i'm I'm looking forward to some type of thing where I bring a couple news articles and we just kind of talk about um, that type of thing and just kind of do a podcast back and forth because you're very Can good. We make at- it like like two news things and like a comic book. We could do that. Absolutely. I, I, I like I'm that. all aboard for that. Absolutely. Um, all right. But yeah, that's, I think it's, uh, you're, you're real good at breaking it down and make, and, and, you know, complicated things and making sure we understand. And that's what I think a, a big deal is nowadays is that the ability to do that because there's so much misinformation or confusion or not understanding or people thinking they understand that it's easy if you find somebody and say, can you explain this to me? And, and so everybody can understand. So uh, th- again, thanks for coming on. If anything last you want to finish up before we, take off here uh buy bonds no i don't <laughs> <laughs> buy comic books um no it, it, but yeah so thanks for, and as always stay safe sage out